0: Welcome to Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd. Whether you're listening live on the community radio network or via podcast, here's the show where you learn from experts, be inspired by journeys and discover more about making your small business a success. I'm Alexi Boyd, broadcaster, advocate and small business owner. Let's meet today's guests. So the Australian government, in defence of one industry, had decided to take on the giants of the tech world. And this might affect that tiny proportion of small businesses that rely on these giants for marketing, sales, data storage, functionality, admin, all of our processes, basically, and that's pretty much everyone. It's like a David and Goliath battle with small business playing piggy in the middle. So how concerned should small business be that currently slightly worrying news story may implode our business? Is the threat real, or is it just grandstanding? Will it turn our online worlds upside down, or are we just going to pivot into a new search engine? There's no one else who's better positioned to allay our fears or perhaps make them worse than Seamus Byrne with dedicate, decades of experience as an award-winning journalist and broadcaster covering the future of tech, video games and digital culture. He's going to explain the current situation and what you as a small business owner need to know. Welcome to the show, Seamus
1: good to be here
0: it's great to have you on the program thank you so much for joining us from your beautiful home in bavril which is uh, an awesome place to live i'm sure away from the hustle and bustle but it it doesn't allow you to escape from the everyday news stories and and this is i don't know in, in our world in in a small business world in the tech world this is this is a pretty this is a pretty big one so so tell me is is this a real fight is this something we should be worried about what is this even about
1: Yeah, look, I think the way that everybody currently feels like they have their heels firmly uh, slammed into the ground feels like we could be heading towards sort of worst-case scenarios on some of these threats that are being thrown around. So I think people should be trying to think about um, what sort of comes next if it goes that way, because, of course, if everything stays the same, then great, you know, then you can keep moving forward with whatever your strategy might be. But this whole fight is really about... Uh, The media industry, uh, specifically, uh, you know, nine newspapers, and obviously that means the old Fairfax newspapers, uh, and then News Corp. It's really sort of focused around the two of them um, wanting to get more money, well, any money (laughs) directly paid to them from uh, Google and Facebook. Uh, You know, it's all being kind of set up as if it's this sort of broad Media code that will get any sort of search engines or social media companies uh, to pay directly to media companies that they have links to um, because the media companies feel like that the use of links to their news stories is t- taking money away from them. And honestly, I totally agree I totally disagree rather um, with the way that it's all been framed because I think ultimately it's about ad revenue and the fact that traditional media companies have lost a lot of it and they know that Facebook and Google get almost all of it in the digital space um, and that's kind of where the fight stands right now and with the draft media code as it stands and the government saying they are going to move forward with it as it has been written uh, then Google is taking the position that they will not be able to offer search under the conditions as it is written, and that is kind of that is a bit scary.
0: Because there's so many different ways of looking at this. On the one hand, you can say, well, um, the, the media agencies were so slow to move. If, if we recall just 10 years ago, it seemed to take them forever to get online with their own presence and to get that all nailed and even to have an online team. And here we are fast-forwarding with them almost complaining about the fact that they haven't been able to pivot fast enough. They're losing money. Well, that's just their business model failing However, if you look at it on the other side, if we lose our business, uh, sorry, our news coverage, we lose um, that uh, transparency of government. Of course, the, the ability to really investigate. They have all of their revenue removed, which means that they'll downsize those important teams that we need, including the small business community to keep government bodies and agencies accountable. So it's almost um, it's one. It might be just one sector that's fighting in this. But at the same time, they're sort of fighting for all of us. It's interesting that you say, even as a journalist, that am I right in thinking you believe that it's not um, it's not the fault of Google, that this is how it's played out, or the Google and the Facebooks of the world, that the bigger companies should have moved faster?
1: Yeah, look, I think there's a really clear picture you can paint here about sort of where did the news companies used to get the majority of their revenue? It was out of classifieds, the so-called rivers of gold that they used to call it, cars, cars real estate and jobs ads, uh, they have all essentially failed to sort of run that side of their businesses into the digital age appropriately. Or there's even, you know, horror stories for you know, what is now nine newspapers, they had an opportunity to buy to Seek when it was worth very, very little. And then they decided not to. And then, of course, that's billions of dollars that moved into that digital space that they didn't really play in effectively. Uh, they also spun off Domain, you know, into a separate company. It's like, these are the areas that used to fund journalism. That was fundamentally what they did. And by spinning off those bits of the companies, because somehow they decided in the digital age that that was a different operation and therefore better to just sell that off. Well, then you've lost all of the mechanisms that used to make the best money for your business. And any business that sort of thinks, well, that bit of our business is doing great, you know, now let's just sell that off and now let's sit here wondering what to do with the rest of it is just not not really good sense.
0: No, it's not sense from their perspective. And and we as small businesses look at this and say, well, hey guys, you know, we, we can pivot a lot faster. We can make business decisions faster than you. But here we are piggy in the middle. We're the ones stuck with this. This yeah. could be a massive impact if if the threats are real, and that's what I wanted to ask you, are the threats of removing search engine, and when they just say search engine, that's just like, ah, I'll just go to Bing. That's not really going to work, because we're also talking about Google Drive, Google Storage. I mean, what what capacity can they remove from the Australian market?
1: So, yeah, look, that's a really important point to make here, is that they have sort of said very clearly, they're only talking about search as a standalone tool. So if you are a subscriber to, you know, the wider Google services, if you use Gmail as a business user, if you use Drive, if you use any of those other tools, they've said none of that is going to go away. Um, It is purely about that sort of public direct search space that they're talking about. But even at that, you know, it definitely means little weird bits might break on you because, It's just kind of hard to know there's clearly spillover effects if they sort of try to say this part of the business isn't going to really be part of it anymore. And I think actually one of the biggest issues for small businesses is that Google and Facebook have absolutely offered some of the most affordable, most wonderfully targeted uh, tools for advertising that's ever been possible for small business you know and it's definitely one of those areas that globally um, Facebook has enabled an awful lot of small businesses to flourish because as you learn how to use those uh, you know those advertising tools that you can be incredibly granular in how you target people you know you could target people to just your local area you know where your radio show is based uh, for people who are interested in these really specific things like you can get that laser focused and that's not something that is possible on other platforms so if they did decide well we're not going to offer these this or that anymore um, then that would mean that the opportunity to target Australians if that search tool is no longer available to Australians um, does make it hard for small businesses that have kind of found a really great way to you know to hub off those tools.
0: So on the one hand we can be a little bit more we can be less concerned about losing the, you know, the functionality part of, of the Googles and the Facebook, but by the same token, it's that advertising platform, which has become, like you said, a massive tool for small businesses. It could be a real concern. Um, so is its it... Is it is it just a matter of you know we should start buying shares in DuckDuckGo and Bing and because they're <laughs> about to they're about to receive a whole lot of revenue and hopefully they'll have moved quickly enough to produce something similar, um, or how should we prepare as small businesses? Say in the next, are we talking three to six months that this could occur when the when the plug gets pulled out of the wall?
1: Yeah, look, I mean that's probably the the right time frame. I you know I hope. That as we get closer and closer to a date, that sort of, Do we have um, a date? you know, sort of is there a
0: date? Um,
1: no, look, I, I don't think there is a specific date sort of attached to anything because, yet because government. <laughs> because because government, <laughs> because that's government. right. Um, and look, I, you know, I think there's a lot of sort of bully talk um, from both sides. I, I, I think nobody has covered themselves in glory in this whole sort of discussion so far, and um, I think that's kind of where you know I hope eventually everybody sort of says, all right, look, we've had. Fun debating this thing. Um, now let's sort of get real because I think the the major sticking point for Google is actually around uh, being told they have to give algorithmic information to the you know to the media companies. It's like that is so the secret source of how Google works that they just don't ever want to be told you have to give over uh, information about what your next tweak to the algorithm is going to do to news information. Um, it's the kind of thing that I think that's that's their sticking point. They've said they'd be happy to pay for for news in various ways. Um, I think, uh, I ultimately think we should just be taxing them properly and then distributing, you know, and forbid we just do the proper thing with taxes. Um, I also think they should be held accountable for advertising scam ads that are on their things. Yeah, everybody runs into them all the time. If they were held accountable for that sort of stuff, it would also improve the quality of ads. And when you buy an ad, you would know you're not ever going to be sitting next to some other dodgy scam ad. Um, but I think in terms of preparations, I think the big things to do is to just try to look at what is your current, you know, marketing mix, uh, I guess, specifically in the digital digital space. But try to start exploring, you know, what are the alternate online spaces that might be worth testing out? You know, you can run little test campaigns. I think beyond search, you can be even looking at kind of other online community spaces uh, beyond Facebook. You yeah, know, places like, you yeah, Reddit, which as much as I think it sometimes gets painted as this, you know, weird, dark awkward part of the internet that actually you know it is one of those places where there's a thousand different kinds of communities and you could target your advertising to specific kinds of communities on that who are only in Australia like it has plenty of those same targeting tools available so um really trying to look at what are the wider options out there beyond just search beyond uh just social media uh and then even you know uh looking at sort of some of those offline options if you are very local but if you are trying to be broader um then yeah looking at other digital spaces i'm a big fan of DuckDuckGo because it's a privacy focused search engine um you know i I think if people had to fall over somewhere it's worth even maybe just starting to do your own searches on other platforms for a while to see what it feels like
0: and to see where where your business sits because we're so used to seeing where our business sits you can get a little bit egotistical actually you can research your business and just go where am i sitting in google oh low and behold, I'm at the top of the list. Well, of course, you're at the top of the list. It's your business.
1: <laughs> Actually, that is a great point. I think that's one of the biggest tips ever is make sure you go into incognito mode on your browser to test out your searches on yourself. Because if you search it all the time, of course, you're at the top. <laughs> yeah,
0: i are going to get a rude shock though. Uh, look, thank you so much for joining us today, Seamus. It's been um, very interesting to hear about where this is heading, what your opinion is when it comes to timelines and what we need to do as small businesses to prepare ourselves, which I think generally just sounds like do what we're good at, which is pivot, research, you know, talk to other business owners, talk to your professional association, get some advice, get to, get to some experts, and do what we do best, which is just um, survive. Thank you so much for joining us, Seamus. Um, where can people find out a little bit more about you and uh, Biteside and find out more about your articles?
1: Yeah, if they go to Byteside.com, B-Y-T-E-S-I-D-E.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much, Seamus Byrne. Now, stay with us, everybody. After this song, we're going to be joined by Dinesh De Silva from Netstripes talking all about online marketing, which is fairly topical given what we were just chatting about. Thanks again, Seamus. We will see you all just after this. This episode of Small Biz Matters is proudly sponsored by the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman's Office. Led by Kate Carnell since its establishment only four years ago, Aspifio has provided education, advocacy and support, including free assistance if a small business is involved in a dispute. The office also provides assistance for disputes that fall under the franchising, dairy, horticultural and oil industry codes. Kate Carnell, as an independent advocate for small business owners, has the legislative power to influence our nation's lawmakers ensuring legislation and regulations are put in place to help small businesses grow and in these times, survive. Small businesses are the engine room of the economy and it's Aspifio's role to do all they can to ensure they have the freedom to innovate, employ and thrive well into the future. Welcome to Small Business Matters with Alexi Boyd. Thanks for joining us after the break. We've got another fantastic guest. If you're just joining us, you missed an interview with Seamus Byrne, who is a tech expert from Biteside, explaining to us how fearful or concerned we should be when it comes to this whole Google, Facebook, pulling the, th- pulling the rug out from underneath small businesses threat that they've got going on and what it is that the Australian government is trying to fight for. So if you've missed that, join us on smallbusmatters.com.au where you can download that and over 190 podcasts All in long form, all fantastic interviews there to help you learn and grow as a small business. So for many businesses, the thought of digital solutions encompasses a long list of things to do, which can be quite frankly overwhelming. Between websites, social media, admin, maintaining data compliance, learning all of the above, getting a foothold in the digital space is almost as challenging as starting the business itself. So, how do you prioritise which digital solutions to use for which problem? What aspects are important when your business gets started, when it's ramping up or growing quickly, and what client behaviours in all of these aspects should influence your decisions? Dinesh De Silva is the founder of NetStripes, a leading authority on digital innovation, and has helped over seven thousand businesses to understand and implement digital. He's joining me today to help you prioritise the must-dos above the nice-to-haves and help you overcome those hurdles of overwhelm to help you nail the digital space. Welcome to the show, Dinesh.
2: Thank you for having me, Alex. great to be here.
0: It is good to have you in the studio. I'm I'm always thrilled to have people in the studio, which is lovely because it means that we um we get to talk face to face and we can we can bring in a new year with some some real life contacts, which is great. So let's talk about those behaviours first, because the changes in behaviour has been quite significant in the last 12 months. Um, the way people are operating, where we live, how we you know integrate computers and, and software and all of that into our daily lives. That's been a big shift. Um, what sort of things should the typical small business owner be aware of when it comes to the changes?
2: Um, Alex, that's a great question because I don't have to tell everybody. It, we all know that the pandemic has changed everything. Uh, most importantly, the behaviour of consumers, Um uh, Some recent research from McKinsey, uh, one of the foremost uh, companies in uh, strategy across the world, has shown that the adoption of digital by individuals and businesses has accelerated so much it would have otherwise taken seven years to achieve that acceleration.
0: Wow. So that's, that singular year is almost seven times faster than what we would see in a normal a- absolutely. year.
2: Absolutely. This is the adoption of digital by individuals and businesses. But if you take the uh, consumption of digital products and services, in this Asia-Pacific region alone, that's where Australia lies, that acceleration has been 10 years, Wow. So that's the purchase of digital products and services. Otherwise, that would have taken 10 years to happen in that given year. So consumer behavior has changed so much because organizations and people have realized we must change. Now, as small business owners, how do we react to this change in a way that it, it positively impacts our businesses now that's the challenge
0: and understanding what those changes are at a granular level for your business is so important this is one of the problems with running a small business that you know we get lumped into this category of just small businesses when we are all so very very different what's a good way to um figure out what the changes have been for your industry or your particular business to help you move forward
2: Now, what business owners must do now is to understand how your customers, their lifestyles have changed, how their needs have changed. That's the first thing we must do because their lives have changed, fundamentally changed uh, from what it was. Now, we can't serve them the way we did 12 months ago or, or two years ago. So this is about going and speak as simple as going and talking to these customers. Go and speak to as many customers as possible, but don't just talk to them. Take extensive notes while you're speaking to them. Come back home, come back to your office, analyze those notes. You will, the insights you will get, is going to be priceless.
0: That's so interesting that we are speaking about the digital space. We're talking about things that you may not have in terms of face-to-face interaction, but it's those golden moments of actually communicating directly with your customers through the voice, or the meetings, or the coffees. That means that you're going to understand how they operate. Are we talking about uh, their pathways of dealing with your business? What sort of questions should you ask them to find out what's changed?
2: The simplest questions are the best. Uh, The why, you know, how has the pandemic affected you? You know, what are you doing differently? Um, What are the biggest issues you're grappling with? How is your business? Um, um, What are the biggest issues that you've been able to resolve? What are you doing about it? And when you ask those why, 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 and how questions, and I said earlier the you get some golden nuggets. Mm. Uh, again, if you can't go see them because they're far away, Zoom calls are superb because you still see their face-to-face reactions when you ask those questions. And watch for the signs, the pain as they give you those answers. They are as equally important.
0: And it's as though it's going back to those real marketing basics, isn't it? What problem are you trying to solve and how can you solve it? And in a way... Those problems might have evolved in the last 12 months. The problems of uh, what the the consumer or your client is dealing with will have changed, and that's why those conversations are so important now.
2: Absolutely, because what's happened is their needs haven't really changed. Um, think about it. If you're a caterer uh, and you provide catering to Uh, weddings and functions of 50th birthdays and 25th anniversaries and 21st and 40th and your customers can't have those functions anymore as as big as they are but if somebody's celebrating their 25th anniversary they waited so long they still want to celebrate that day Mm. with friends and family Mm. Now, if you rethink the way they want to celebrate it, I know this, in April, one of uh, our clients at Netstripes rethought the way he, he's going to deliver his services and had Zoom parties where he did fine dining catering.
0: <laughs> fine dining for so, Fine soon. dining
2: catering oh, delivered to your home. Fabulous. And, um, and it was fabulous. And his business hasn't stopped. Mm. Now, Think about it, all caterers had to close down. This was one caterer who spoke to their customers, understood their new needs, and then fine-tuned his products and services to meet that need. Now I can give you tons of similar examples in so many other industries that were affected like that.
0: And in a lot of ways, those sort of a, that ability to pivot is something that we do very well as a small business, but it can be difficult for people who don't necessarily have a product that can be delivered. What would you say to, say, a service professional or a consultant about um, how to evolve with the changing last 12 months?
2: Um, let me take you a really simple example. Um, if you're running a gym, all the gyms are closed. People can't come into a gym. But still, people need... Health and fitness. They want instructions. They want guidance. Why people come to a gym or go to a uh, personal trainer is to get that guidance. So, this gym owner I know, what she did was she pivoted her business, just like you said. She said, Sorry, you can't come to my classes anymore, but I'm still running the classes. Log into my website, book for your class on the calendar I put in, and you can come to my place and take any of the fitness equipment, the weights and stuff like that you need if you don't have any. And we're running the classes at these times like we used to do. Her business, which was in a local suburb in Sydney, is not in a local suburb in Sydney anymore. She's got customers across the country now. Mm. Now, this is about rethinking your, the new needs of your customers and delivering it in a digitised way. However, there are a few things that you must get right to be able to do it. You need to have what's called a digital and marketing infrastructure to do that. And we'll talk about that later.
0: Yeah, indeed, because those, those are products, those places, mm-hmm. the software, the items that you might need that are fairly fundamental to make sure that you've been able to pivot. And we did have a bit of a shortage at the beginning mm-hmm. of the pandemic, didn't we? But it was a, a run on webcams and a run on on equipment that you needed to be able to facilitate these things from home. So it is possible to do this across no matter what industry you're in. Um, And we'd like to think that small businesses are okay with this change and can do it quickly. Um, But in one way there is a there is a mental hurdle to be able to make such changes. Um, What would you say to businesses who are experiencing a little bit of anxiety around pivoting and worried about the business in their future? because they're not so great at making major changes?
2: Again, that's a really good question, because as business owners, uh, we're used to running our businesses in the traditional way, in the traditional business models we ran our businesses in. What the pandemic has made us do is we need to transition our businesses to be successful in a digital world and there's there's a method to do that there's a five step process uh, in doing that i um, can give you the steps uh, to do that um, however if you follow those steps, you can do it. Well, unfortunately, what's happened to a lot of businesses is when they think of going digital, they think, oh, I need to get a website or I need to post on Facebook or do social media marketing or do Google Ads or SEO. And and the issue for a lot of business owners is they've done a lot of that. And when you spend... the 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 money you have and the time you have, which you don't have a lot of both, and you don't get a return on that investment, it's very frustrating for business owners. Mm. And that's a huge issue. And that's one of the reasons that mental hurdle has arisen. It's not for want of trying. They have tried. They haven't succeeded. So this is why you need to follow a proper process of transition. Again, I'll use McKinsey. McKinsey says just simply taking an existing business and putting a website or an e-commerce platform on it is not digital transition.
0: Exactly. So there needs to be a process behind it and and a strategy as to the the reason why you're doing it and which direction you're heading. We're going to take a quick break here on Small Biz Matters on Triple H 100.1 FM. When we return after this, we're going to be speaking a little bit more to Dinesh De Silva from Net Stripes about what that process is to make sure that your small business digital marketing strategy is actually strategic. Join us after this. This episode of Small Biz Matters is proudly sponsored by the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman's Office. Led by Kate Carnell since its establishment only four years ago, Aspifio has provided education, advocacy and support, including free assistance if a small business is involved in a dispute. The office also provides assistance for disputes that fall under the franchising, dairy, horticultural and oil industry codes. Kate Carnell, as an independent advocate for small business owners, has the legislative power to influence our nation's lawmakers, ensuring legislation and regulations are put in place to help small businesses grow and in these times, survive. Small businesses are the engine room of the economy and it's Aspifio's role to do all they can to ensure they have the freedom to innovate, employ and thrive well into the future. So today we're speaking to Dinesh De Silva just before the break. We were speaking about consumer habits in 2020 and what's changed about that. And I wanted to speak to Dinesh about this concept that, look, we've all been doing this for a while now. We've been throwing money at advertising. We've been looking at Google ads. We've been looking at Facebook ads. And in a way, sometimes it can become a little bit frustrating because you're not getting that immediate return. Uh, What I wanted to ask you was, why is it so important that you put these... um, these can't just be sporadic steps. They have to be part of a strategy. So what's the first step to creating this overall strategy for um, digital implementation in your business?
2: What we've seen, uh, Alex, is as business owners, we're so busy uh, running our businesses, but but also we're very good at what we know. Um, how to run a coffee shop or her, as a doctor or a lawyer, we're very good at what we know. Now... When it comes to digital, it's a bit difficult. And it's a bit of the unknown. However... The first thing business owners must do is to get the right knowledge on how to run a business in this digital world. Because we can't run a business today if we don't know enough about digital. So firstly, get the right knowledge. It doesn't take time today if you do the right things in less than a day. It doesn't take you two years or 100 hours on YouTube to do it. In less than a day, you can get that right knowledge. So go and get that knowledge.
0: But can I ask you again, because um, we're speaking about small business as a whole with so many different facets and intricacies and differences, should they start by asking other businesses who are similar to theirs about what they did? I mean, where's that starting point for such a unique proposition?
2: To succeed in digital, what you need to do is there is a process. Digital is really binary. It's about ones and zeros. So success in digital, um, especially if it, there are two principles in digital marketing, everybody must know. Just to give you a very simple thing. Drive the right traffic to your website is mm-hmm. principle number one. So not any traffic. You've got to drive the right traffic. Now, that's a really serious question. What is the right traffic? So you drive the right traffic to your website. Number two is you've got to convert that traffic into leads and into sales. So that's the type of thing you need to learn. And um, and once you know how to do that, well, actually, that's all that it takes. Uh, then you've got to look at data and to understand and how to review and improve that whole process until you get the results you're after. And the results are not likes and shares, mind you. The re- results are those financial results yes. you deserve to get for your business. So that's where the frustration lies. People are investing money in digital, not getting a return. So start, understand your business goal, and then decide, how do I get to achieve that business goal in a 12-month period.
0: And also, don't just think of a business goal as, um, oh, okay, I just need to grow sales. No, that's not a business goal. You might say, I am exploring this new uh, type of revenue or a new um, aspect of my business. So what I want to do is I want to drive sales to that. I want to pour some money into the pathways that brings my clients to this part of the business. And then I want to see, as you said, the conversion. Those dollar figures and the conversion figures around that particular strategy, that's your, your result your result is not likes and, and views you're it's absolutely right
2: absolutely it's not likes and views and correct that, the-
0: that's the result for Facebook that's <laughs> not the result for you
2: <laughs> and people measure themselves oh my goodness I got a comment there I got a like there yeah that's not what we are after Every business must have a business goal. Uh, I've spoken, as you said, to over probably 10,000 business owners in the last two years as I go around the country talking to business owners and giving talks. When I ask the question, how many many of you have a clear financial goal for the next 12 months? Mm. Only about 50% can answer that question. Even if you're running a not-for-profit organisation, you must know your financial goal. Of course, you must have other goals. But this financial goal is important. Otherwise, you can't set a strategy to achieve that.
0: Mm. And strategy, um, I think when we hear that word strategy, we think of business plans and we think of you know, um, profit and loss statements and we think of quite complex things. But really, at the end of the day, for me, a strategy is just a pathway, you know, where do we want to guide people? First of all, work out who that client is for that particular thing that you're selling. Say you're selling, you know, uh, widget number A and it's pink as opposed to the blue one that you've been selling for that last two years. So what is it about the pink customer that's going to be different from the blue customer? And then analyse it and then push them, push them through the social media channels to your website. Because like you said, a social media like isn't actually buying the pink thing. You might like the pink thing, but you're not buying the pink
2: thing. That's so true. So uh, strategy is fundamentally important if you want to succeed online. So the first step we do is get the right knowledge, then... You need to build the right strategy, a digital strategy for your business to achieve that financial goal that you have set. So it's like if you don't set the financial goal, you can't set a strategy. So now strategy to me comes in three parts. If you just simplify that. First thing is you need to have a customer strategy. That means who are my ideal customers? Who are the people who I love to serve? Who are the people who pay me a top dollar Why do they pay you a top dollar? Because you're resolving their biggest pain points. And because you're resolving their biggest pain points, they don't haggle with you and they love working with you and you love working with them for that. Those customers who come and haggle with you, they can get what they're getting from anywhere else. So they are not your ideal customers. So you need to really work out Who are my ideal customers? Who are the tie kickers? Who are the people I should not serve? Because once you know who you're not serving, you save a ton of time.
0: Because mm, it's like you have to look at not only who your ideal client is, but who your ideal client is not.
2: That's correct. So you get your customer personas and your ideal customer persona, and you get your, what's called the anti-persona. That's step number one in strategy. Step number two is once you know who your ideal customer is, just like the way you said, Alex, a little while ago, you now fine-tune your products and services to suit that ideal customer. It's like that pink widget is the best widget for my ideal customer. It could be a service, it could be a product, it could be a productized service. Mm -hmm. Um, And we fine-tune our products and services to that ideal customer. The next stage is that whichever business you're in, there is massive competition. There are thousands of competition out there. Competition is increasing every day. So our next job is to do a competitive strategy, but, but really to see how do we... Set our brand apart, a brand and business. How do we set it apart from our competition? But not just apart, how do we set it to stand taller than our competition? So
0: it's a design enemy is almost part of that. It's one of the steps of the process because... And it, it can be uncomfortable. It can be one of those hurdles is, is looking at, OK, Let's. if I was looking at this from a customer's perspective and I was going out and trying to find a me... Who's the other me's out there? And this this is where it can become a little bit personal because we all know that our businesses are our babies. Um, how could anybody else possibly have the same baby? So it's look out look out there and, and be honest with yourself or maybe look at someone who is completely... Um, unknown to your business, but you know them very well as a person, and say, can you go out there and try and find me that pink widget and see what they come back with? Because the way that they're going to search for it is going to be completely different than you and more likely to be the way that your ideal customer would be looking for it.
2: Absolutely. So when you do a competitive strategy... um like you said, you've got to work out who else can do what we do mm. so that our, what we offer is not just so what. I can get it from there as well. But the best part is once you've defined your ideal customer and you fine tune that service to that ideal customer, you soon find you're not competing with everybody anymore. Mm. And you've got really narrow. And this digital world allows us, Alexi, to get so narrow. Yes, that's the beauty of it. You don't have to be um, general like in, in the traditional world. What when you're general, you're like a vanilla offering. Everybody can do it, and that creates huge amount of competition.
0: Indeed, it's you're no longer just hitting you know hitting a certain industrial estate or vaguely where you think your customers must be based with a letter drop and throwing out a thousand letters and hoping that you get one one pick. You can be quite quite granular in the way that you're trying to target that. But again, going back a step. You can't do that unless you know who it is who's buying those particular items. You need to know who what they're buying.
2: Absolutely. About. So let me let me give you an example of this whole process I spoke to you so that people can put a picture to this. So take a gym owner. So if you were a small business and you, you love fitness and you created a gym in your home or in your garage, now that's a hard job because you're competing with the likes of Fitness First, 24-7, Anytime Fitness.
0: Michelle Bridges.
2: Of Michelle Bridges. <laughs> all the big brands out there, and yes. in, in, including the likes of Michelle Bridges and the local um, fitness guys, the individuals and the small people. Now, how do you compete? So this is about knowing who your ideal customer is. Now, if you're absolutely clear who your ideal customer is and then you fine-tune that business to that ideal customer, your messaging and your, everything becomes very easy. So the example here is there was a lady in Willoughby. She ran a business, a fitness business, and she struggled for two years uh, because she had to compete with all these people. Then suddenly she got her strategy right and she decided her ideal customers were women Mm -hmm. who were over 50, Mm -hmm. but who wanted to be fit and fabulous. So now think about this. She's fine-tuned all her services to those women. And then she realized there wasn't a lot of competition who focused on that strategy because everybody did fitness for everybody else. So messaging went to, I got to get this right now. (laughs) Fit, fabulous, and over 50 for women. Now, think about that. If you see advertisements fit, fabulous, and over 50 for women. And you're
0: over 50 and you want to be fabulous, then that's the perfect target. Yeah, so if you're a woman,
2: you see this ad, Mm. you won't go to fitness first. You won't go to any time fitness. You're going to... Sonia Ray, who you know, Alexi, very well. Yes, she Um, is fabulous. She's an amazing woman. And and then she continued this program and she tripled her revenue in 18 months.
0: But I have a question for you. You mentioned that this took her a couple of years to get to. I think that it does take a few years in business to, one, understand what your own skill set is before going out there. Or do you think it's possible to have to be a niche product or service right at the beginning? Does it take time, or is it, is it more you might stumble on it, or could it be both?
2: I'm so glad you asked that question, really, because a lot of businesses think, you know, I'll just stumble along, uh, I'll just do what I know, and then I'll follow the process later. Sonia Ray was a tech executive who used to work in one of the global tech firms in a, in a high-paying job. She came in to run her own business and running your own business is tough. Mm. And she still struggled for the first two years, whereas you don't have to. If you follow this process from day one, you can get results from day one. So from the first day she followed the program, she, of course she didn't get results on day one. But in an 18-month period, she tripled her revenue. But it
0: will take time before you work out that you want to be the Fit Fabulous 50 percent. That's,
2: again, part of the strategy, isn't it? Now, let me tell you of another person. This guy left his job like Sonia Ray did. But instead of doing her strategy two years later, he did his strategy straight up. He had to compete with some of the biggest brands in the event management business. He did corporate events, corporate conferences, Um, When he started, and they were global brands and local Aussie brands. Some of them were public listed companies.
0: Wow.
2: He built his business from zero to one million in little over 12 months following that strategy. So it's about getting the knowledge, getting the strategy. That was step number two. Step number three for that matter is making sure you take that strategy and you embody that strategy and your value proposition In what's called your online branding. This is this online branding that has to be overlaid on your website, on on your social media, so that wherever they see you online, Mm -hmm. you have consistency. So that when customers see you within a second, two to three seconds, like that they get the message. Your value proposition comes there. There's instant trust and credibility that is created. And that's step three. Before you build your website, you must get your online branding done. Now that's a professional way. You need professionals to help you with that. Because if I'm a doctor or a lawyer, I don't know that stuff. Yeah. So I need to get help there. So, but I want to put some time for everything because as business owners, we have time. You know, time is of essence. So I said the knowledge part shouldn't take you less than a day. This whole strategy part, if you do it right, doesn't take you more than two hours. You Mm. can do it in two to three hours. Mm. That whole exercise I just spoke about, then the online branding should take you probably, you know, if you do it with the right people, probably take you a week or two because now you have your strategy clearly, you're communicating even to your brand designers how to do it right.
0: And if you've got a good brief, and that's oh, – I think what you've – you've said something something so important there because you can't go to a – design. it's not fair to go to a designer, whether it be a digital designer or a logo mm-hmm. designer or someone that you know and just go, oh, I've got this vague idea about what I want to do and maybe I'll do this. You need to have a plan and a, uh, an almost a, – not a brand necessarily or colours or anything like that, but you've got to have an idea about what it is you're doing so you can brief them properly. Otherwise – goes back to what you are saying at the beginning, you're just spitballing, you're just throwing these ideas out there, trying it for 12 months, OK, it doesn't work, I'll try something again. But you really have to get that all thought about and that's why this process is so important as a step-by-step. I just want to take a quick break here on Small Biz Matters, go to a community service announcement. And when we come back after the break, we're going to speak to Dinesh De Silva from NetStripes a little bit more about uh, what to expect in the next 12 months after we've been through what we've been through and how your digital strategy is going to form an important part of that. We'll be back after this. This episode of Small Biz Matters is proudly sponsored by the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman's Office. Led by Kate Carnell since its establishment only four years ago, Aspifio has provided education, advocacy and support, including free assistance if a small business is involved in a dispute. The office also provides assistance for disputes that fall under the franchising, dairy, horticultural and oil industry codes. Kate Carnell, as an independent advocate for small business owners, has the legislative power to influence our nation's lawmakers, ensuring legislation and regulations are put in place to help small businesses grow and in these times, survive. Small businesses are the engine room of the economy and it's Asbifio's role to do all they can to ensure they have the freedom to innovate, employ and thrive well into the future. Welcome back to Triple H. I'm just having a bit of trouble with my headphones at the moment. They're not sitting on my head properly, but we'll keep going. Uh, we are talking to Dinesh De Silva from Net Stripes, who's here to talk all about digital marketing. And I think what's been interesting about this conversation thus far, Dinesh, is you're coming at it from a really process-driven perspective. Because we are process-driven creatures. You can't possibly run a small business and not have some understanding of that. Um, and just before the break, you were explaining the importance of understanding the product that you're selling, the customers that you're trying to target, and the way that you're driving business to the website. So what's the, the, the last, last two steps of really getting the digital strategy correct?
2: All right. So just to recap, everyone... The first part is we got to get the right knowledge. Uh, I said um, if you're running a business in this digital world, that's an imperative. It shouldn't take you more than a day. Follow the right type of um, program. Uh, then you got to get the strategy right. Number three, once you've got the strategy, that's a customer strategy, your service strategy, or competitive strategy, right? You've got to go and get your online branding done, the online brand design, because that's what gets overlaid on your website, on your social media media profiles and wherever people see you on your web, on the web there must be instant trust and credibility mm. that is created your message must come to them very strongly and that's the importance of that third process once you've done that now now you're ready to get your website development done or the web solution created so that it is fine-tuned to that ideal customer. So it could have a few automations that you may do to make your job easier, to make the customer's experience easy. But you've got to do it in the most simplest, most cost-effective manner for you. So um, again, once you have that online brand designed, to do that web solution becomes easier. It's not just any website. Now, once that web solution is built, it becomes your digital and marketing platform for your business. It's not just a website. Now, like if I take that case of that uh, fitness uh, company I was speaking about, their customers uh, during the pandemic could come and automatically book into a session. They get an automated email saying, yes, you have booked into this session.
0: And they could do it easily. That's that's what's really important here is don't overcomplicate things. If I could just put my bookkeeping hat on for one second, don't offer them five different ways to pay. Make a decision about what payment method you're going to use and stick to that. Everyone will adhere to that. It's okay. Your customers don't need 15 different ways to use your 15 different credit cards. They get it. It's fine.
2: Uh, Absolutely. So make it easy for them, but also make it inexpensive for you to do. Uh, So that there are simple ways of doing everything. So never complicate the matter for your customer or for yourself. So build that web solution. And once you've built that web solution, it becomes a digital and marketing platform that you drive traffic to. However, If you haven't got that, the first three steps right, this will never work. That's why lots of people have websites that doesn't deliver them results. Step number five is to decide my promotion strategy. Promotion strategy has to be really thought about. This is about sharpshooting. It's not about shooting everywhere in a scattergun approach. We have to know who our ideal customers are. We've done the strategy. We know that. Now we've got to see where are they, what's the fastest and cheapest way to get to them. And because we know our financial goal, we also know how many of them we need to win this year. So often you think, my goodness, I had to win 200 customers. Actually, if we've done the numbers right, you only have to win 20 this year. To win that 20, what is the best way to get leads? And how many leads do I need to get?
0: And again, going back to what you were saying at the beginning, talk to your customers. What has their experience been in the past? the ones who have been your ideal customer and you want to work with again and again, ask them, how did you find me? You know, what what bit was clunky about getting in contact with me or asking the questions? And um, which bit did you find easy? And that will help guide what you're saying as well. Uh,
2: Absolutely, Alexei. Um, When you spoke to your customer the first time, you'll be also very clear how to reach them because you ask those how, why questions. And, This fifth step becomes so easy and inexpensive. You know, a lot of people think digital marketing is expensive. If you've done the first four steps right, the time you spend on your marketing becomes so much less and so inexpensive because you know exactly where to go and how many to win, who not to waste your time with. Now, if I ask business owners, every business owner tells me they're time poor. Now, let me tell you, you started your business because you want to be time rich, but also you had a vision and you wanted to achieve your goals. But because business has become so hard to do and it's so complex, we've we've complicated everything. So once you follow this process, you will find, because you're not wasting your time on the wrong customers, you're not wasting your time doing the wrong marketing, you're getting this stuff right, you have more time. And because you have more time, it becomes easier to win and you end up with having more money and achieving your financial goals.
0: And that's not to say that you don't tweak the process. It's not to say that you don't analyse what's going on and get that data and find out where are you losing people, where are people kind of drifting off... Why have you got why have you got fifteen billion likes on a social media page but you haven't got any hits on the website? Well, obviously there's something broken at that point. So you do have to keep on looking at these things um, and analyzing it and moving forward. Because hey, the pink widget might turn back into a blue widget at some point. You might run out of pink widget. So you do have to keep on, I guess, looking at the data and the processes as well.
2: Again, well said. So once you've got your nail your promotional strategy, you've decided on that, you've decided I'm not going to waste my time time on doing all these things. I'm only going to focus on this community group uh, in my local area. On, on Facebook, there's this community group. I'm going to spend all my time on that. It's And, and that's driving me all the results. Then, what you have to do is, to, as you said correctly, look at the data. Every Digital is binary. is binaries, ones and zeros. Every month or every week, set half an hour apart To go through the data, look at the data, and to ask those questions, is this working? What can I improve? And make little improvements, looking at the data and continuous improvements until you achieve your financial goals.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's what's really important and why that sense of overwhelm can be a little bit all-consuming because if you haven't done this process to begin with you're not tweaking each time, you're going over the same process over and over again and it's not going to work because you're not doing it thoroughly in the first place. Dinesh we've come right to the top of the hour. I'd like to thank you so much for coming on Triple H 100.1 FM and Small Biz Matters with me. Tell me where people can find out more about Netstripes and uh, all those fabulous programs you offer.
2: Look, um, netstripes.com we have a uh, we run lots of free webinars. I'm, in fact, running a webinar this Thursday. I think it's at 4 p.m. It's free to register. Come and register for them because they, we have a webinar every week, which is free, and we have a YouTube channel. We interview lots of great people uh, l- like you do, Alexi, but not, of course, we are not like Alexi. She runs a <laughs> free <Flattery laughs> channel. Everywhere. <laughs> we, are very, we are very new to YouTube, but we have some really great people we have interviewed. Uh, So, come and check our YouTube channel, but... Come for our webinar that's on Thursday. You'll learn a lot.
0: Fantastic. And Dinesh, thank you for everything that you do for the small business community because you yourself, understanding what we go through, have become somewhat of an advocate and, and a supporter for small business as well, I know, and you've been around the traps for a long time now, and it's a it's a great brand that you've built with Netstripe. So congratulations. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining me here on Small Biz Matters. If you've missed any of today's program, you can, of course, catch up anywhere where you ingest your small business education podcasts for Small Biz Matters. There are over- of approaching 200 podcasts you can listen to on any conceivable topic if there's something we haven't covered let us know and we will look into bringing in a wonderful expert like dinesh dinesh thanks again for joining me in the studio
2: thank you for having me absolute pleasure to be here
0: thanks everyone we will see you all next week with another great guest this has been small biz matters on triple h 100.1 fm This week's episode was proudly broadcast from Triple H Studios in Sydney, Australia, and sponsored by the Office of the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman. If you've enjoyed listening, go ahead and give us some thank you stars on your podcasting platform. It would be much appreciated. Then head to the Small Biz Matters website where you can listen to over 170 episodes, read more about our speakers, and find out how to become a media partner. See you all next time.